to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friends. Welcome. I am so glad that you are here today because today we are in for a real treat. We have the opportunity to hear from the incredible Reverend Sidney Van Dyke. Sidney is a United Church of Christ pastor out in Pennsylvania, and she is here to talk all things faith and music. So if music is one of your passions and a way that you connect with God and with your faith, this is the perfect episode for you. Sydney's experience as an a cappella singer, as a singer in choirs, has given her a really unique perspective on the power of music, especially in church and in our own faith lives. We dive really deep into how music can be a form of prayer and how it connects us across cultures, how it can deepen our connection, not only with God, but with others and with ourselves and also how music can really transform our hearts and our lives, how it goes beyond just the language, just beyond the words, but really goes deep into our hearts and can really affect us in many ways. We have seen, especially throughout this pandemic, how important the role of music has played in drawing all of us closer together, the role it plays in lifting our spirits and making us feel connected, even when we're miles apart. And so, my friends, this is a really important episode. It's really powerful. Uh, It was truly a gift to me, and I'm really excited to offer it to you. So thank you, my friend, for allowing me to introduce you to Reverend Sidney Van Dyke. Hello, Sydney. Hi, Kelsey. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm wondering if you can start us off just by telling us who you are and uh, what it is you do. What is your ministry? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so so my name is um, Sydney Van Dyke. I am ordained in the United Church of Christ. Um, I currently serve as associate pastor at New Goshenhoppen United Church of Christ, which is in East Greenville, Pennsylvania, um, about an hour outside of, of Philadelphia, so more on the, the eastern side. I am 28 years old, and my ministry um, has kind of, you know, uh, evolved over my lifetime. I always knew that I was supposed to be in some sort of serving role from, you know, when I was four and it was like, I wanted to be a hairstylist to Mm. when I was seven and it was a lawyer and then a kind of politician. And then in, when I got to college, it, it was more, I was thinking international relations and maybe the United Nations. And then in college, I received what I refer to as my, my call to ministry, um, which actually came through music as well. Mm. I, I then kind of knew, okay, no, I'm actually supposed to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't sure about, you know, pastoral ministry yet, but I knew ministry in some way. So then I went to divinity school and, and in divinity school, um, during that time, I, I kind of found, um, my, my purpose in, in being a 
pastor of a church. Um, and, and that's kind of what, what took me then to New Goshenhofen. So New Gosh is my first ministry call, uh, but I'm very widely involved and have grown up in the church my whole life. So ministry has always been a huge part of, um, my, my upbringing and my background, both my parents are UCC pastors. Mm. So it just kind of was built into my core identity. And uh, so much of my experience with ministry has taken place in some sort of musical context or setting or in some way, or has really involved music. Beautiful. Can you talk for a moment? I know you mentioned music a few times. What is the connection for you between music and faith? What is that interplay? It has always just been something that has been so impactful and meaningful for me in in my life. Singing is is something that I am just so incredibly passionate about. I've I've been singing in choirs as long as I can remember truly. I mean like 3 years old I remember singing in choirs, you know. Um and and I've I've continued that pretty much my my entire life. Music often was something that I did within a religious setting, having both parents in the church, you know, church was just a big place. So just that connection was, was always there for me to take advantage of. But then as I started getting older, it was also something that I, I realized was just really important to me and my faith. And it was just one of the ways that I found myself connecting to God most clearly. I, you know, St. Augustine has, has a, a line, a quote that, that he said that, he who prays or he who sings prays twice. Mm. And I have found in my knowledge and my experience for that to be true. Um, Singing for me is truly this beautiful, wonderful experience that deepens my connection and my relationship with God and, and certainly with my faith and definitely with others. So, you know, for me, a really big important part of faith is, is our connection to God, but it's also our connection to other people and, and singing and music does that in a way that not too many other things do, you know, it connects us on a a deeper level, a higher level, um, a way that, that really brings us together and makes us see, for me at least, see the other person in their full humanity. And, and there's just a, a, a different level and a different like heightened experience of of connectivity that happens through music. Yeah, I love that. I my master's thesis, so I have a, a master's in dance as well as divinity and I focused on how movement can be prayer and I think as you were saying the same is true for music. Like when we're singing, we are also praying. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Music is, you know, I mean, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto mm. the Lord, right? And so it, it, and it does not say it has to be in tune or on key Amen. or on rhythm, right? <laughs> yes. It just says make a joyful noise. And so if your heart is filled with joy and you are expressing that to God, that is prayer. Absolutely. And I think it gets us into our bodies. I feel like in the Christian world, particularly white Christian world. Yes. Particularly mainline. Yes. Protestant white Christian world. Yes. We're like so stiff and like don't want to move. Yes. But as soon as music starts playing, there's like a a little bit of sway. Like you can see it happen. Like someone might tap their toe. Like there's something that stirs in people. And I think that for me is a connection to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. I mean, as Christians, we understand that Jesus was embodied 
right? Mm. He was an embodied version of the divine. And so therefore we, our faith is embodied. It, it is meant to be lived out and fully expressed through our body in all different kinds of ways. Um, and so whether that's dance or music or serving, you know, out in the world or building something or, or being creative and artistic, whatever way our bodies move. And if we're using our bodies um, for expression of praise and God and our faith, then I think that's, you know, um, where, where we're supposed to, what we're supposed to be doing. So in, in divinity school, I was, um, fortunate enough to be a part of, um, a choir, uh, and, and the choir director often, you know, was like, Oh, like in, in, in the Western world, music is in choirs. You stand there perfectly straight, holding your binder of music. Right. And, and there's no movement involved. Mm -hmm. And, and he always felt that that was such a detriment to the quality of the musical experience, not only for individuals in the choir and their experience, but also for the audience and also just the, just the, the quality of the music itself and, and what we were creating. Um, it, it can be limited if we're not willing to really use our full self, including the movement of our body to help express that and, and in order to communicate whatever it is the music is trying to communicate. Yeah, it makes me think of, um, there's a term that's called mimetic kinesis. And it's this idea that when you see someone moving in a certain way, something happens in your brain and in your body that makes you want to move that way too. And one of the clearest examples is like someone throws out their back and you immediately touch your back. There's something in movement that connects us. And I think when music is playing and people move with it, it allows the, those who might be watching to go deeper into it, to like feel the feelings of it. There's a lot of study on Greek theater and they had the chorus and the main purpose of the chorus was to stir the feelings in the audience. Yes. Yeah. Emotion is so tied into, again, like when we talk about the message that we're trying to communicate, the, the visualization helps to speak that message, but the music itself, there's something kind of wild, uh, really mm. ab about what we can do with melody and with tones and with pitches, um, and with how we can combine all those things and the different voices that might be using it or different instruments that might be creating it in order to communicate something mm. right to and and so therefore it it doesn't just hit on on the cognitive level it is embodied again because because you're it's making you feel an emotion it's making mm. you feel and feeling in and of itself is a lived experience you know it's it's not just a cognitive or an intellectual um experience it it goes beyond that and and yeah music is so powerful in its ability to to make you feel something. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the role of music and worship? I feel like all of this is tied into that. But yes. Yeah. If singing is prayer, if music is prayer and music is praise, it makes total sense that it would be for so many traditions, an integral part of a worshipful experience, right? Because praise is worship. Worship is praise. Um, and so that's something that I think it just, it makes sense that humans have found and discovered that music 
helps to experience the divine and connect and get deeper in relationship than, than words alone or, or, you know, in other cases, silence alone, uh, which is another really powerful uh, aspect and actually a really big part of music too, um, you know, uh, to, to use silence as, as a, a part of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but singing and, and music and chords and instruments, they, they transcend in a certain way that, um, other forms of, of worship and praise, um, don't get at, they just get at it something a little bit different. Uh, and so it, it helps us to, uh, you know, find a a deeper place. Like often people sink into worship Mm. when they hear music, um, in whatever way that, that resonates with them. And, you know, I think that's why people love hymns so much that they grew up with because it, it means something special to them. Maybe they had a moment where they connected with God in the midst of that hymn. And so therefore it takes on this, this different meaning, this heightened experience of faith in a real tangible physical way. Right. Which is what the symbol of the cross is, right? Like I think about that a lot that there's the, the vertical line of connecting us to God and the horizontal line of connecting us to other people. And they all converge at the heart. Like that's the essence of it. And I think you're right that music is one of those things that immediately taps us into that so yeah, quickly. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like a, a really quick, you know, immediate plug-in. Absolutely. It's why I tend to be really careful about the hymn that I choose for right after I preach, because preaching yeah. can be so heady, so heady. Yes. And so I want whatever hymn or song comes after I preach to like, I don't want to say like drill in the point, but mm-hmm. like drop people into it in a different way. I'm in the, I'm the same way. I I try to do that same thing and often have it try and hit on some emotional level too. So that way the lyrics of the hymn, because that's another thing that I think is really interesting is oftentimes, and I know, you know, I definitely did this a lot growing up. Sometimes you're, there's a lot going on when you're singing a hymn and using um, a hymnal in order to read the music, right? You're, you're trying to follow the melody line. You're trying to uh, follow the words. And especially when you're verse three or four and they're like underneath. And so your eyes are constantly popping back between like this, the music itself and then the words that are written below. It's kind of like a, a little bit of like a, a intellectual exercise, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes between trying to just stay like with everybody, the words don't always pop out in their meaning as much. Right. And so I often try to choose a hymn after I've, I've preached that, that does reinforce the message, but so that way also hopefully the words that they've heard in the sermon are, they're now able to read the hymn, the words of the hymn a little bit differently and get more meaning out of it than if there were not a connection Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think so often we can get so wrapped up in like trying to read the music and all the things we're thinking about that we don't often pay attention to what the words are. Yeah. But they're so important. The words, I mean, they communicate. It makes me think of um, like being a teenager, you know, when you're like 12 years old and all your emotions are all over the place and like you can't explain them, but you're I feel like every 12 year old I know loves music yeah, and it's because it puts words to something that you, you struggle to do yourself. And I think that's what the lyrics of hymns do too. They put words to things that we struggle to put words to as well. Yeah. We can find ourselves 
in it. We see ourselves reflected back, our experiences, our thoughts, our feelings, um, our emotions, all of that gets reflected back to us within music, um, whether it has lyrics or not, but, but often if it has lyrics kind of maybe even doubly so. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think human or music is such a, a human experience because, and I kind of think again, that's another connection for me with faith, because that's such a big part of my Christian understanding of how we live out our faith is that Jesus is the same way. Jesus, ref, we can see ourselves in Jesus and, ref, and, uh, and, and we always can ref, be, find our own reflection uh, in, in the life and the experiences and the teachings of Jesus. You know, Jesus experiences everything that it means to be human. Mm. And so I think music is, is, is so similar that it, it, it shows us who we are and how we're feeling and, and we feel seen, we feel heard we feel like we belong, mm. right? I think that's why so many people find connectivity to, to artists or to bands and they, they get such intense, um, wrapped up uh, emotions and feelings, even though they've never met the person. But it's because there's, there's something within the music and the artistry that resonates with our lived experience and it brings us in and it makes us feel that we're not alone. You are preaching a good word this morning. <laughs> this is great. So I noticed in acapella groups, because you sent me some videos of you singing yeah. in acapella groups, there's a lot of attention paid to the movement of the people around you. Like I noticed you're not standing still, you are moving and you're having to like feel the energy of the other people and pay attention to their body language. Can you talk a little bit about what that is like and how that draws you closer to those people? Yeah. So I am not a person who can sing with stillness. Like I, I am constantly moving, even when I don't realize it. I mean, for me there, there's, there's this just like very natural and organic, um, relationship between the way that I feel the music in my body. And, and, and so even if I'm just singing it, um, you know, like in a choir with, a, with a, a binder full of music and whatever, I'm still like, I just, I move, I sway, I, I feel it. And so sometimes when I watch myself back on playback, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one moving. I stick out like a sore thumb, <laughs> you know? Um, but, but so when it comes to acapella, my experience with acapella, which is almost always no music and, and no instrumentation, underneath it right um so all of the 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 music is coming from the human voice um and it's coming through either percussive elements like maybe there's a beatboxer or maybe it's just like a different melody line that is has a little bit more uh, rhythm to it um and and then all the harmonies and and the different layerings of all those musical elements that create a full embodied sound so that way it's it's in you obviously there's a lot of play and you can, it, it can come in many different forms. Um, but so for me with acapella music, that for me is like the m top experience that I have of singing and creating music. Um, there is something about people coming together, uh, you know, going from a me as one individual to a we together as a group, um, that, that is so powerful. And, you know, that happens in all different kinds of ensembles or bands or groups. Um, but with acapella music, because you don't have an instrument to help you stay perfectly, um, in tune or on beat, uh, 
you have to be checking in with one another constantly. So it is this, this, the whole exercise is how much in unity can we be together while still contributing our various different parts of the song to make the whole. Right. Um, so there's a recognition that each part is exceptionally important. Most acapella groups range like anywhere from, you know, five to like 16. It's really, it's kind of rare to have a larger group than that. I mean, they exist, of course, and you have choirs who will sing acapella pieces or sing pieces acapella without any other instruments. But for the most part, you know, when you're talking about like acapella as a genre and as a style, um, it's, it's a really small group. And so you have to rely on one another and you have to trust that the person uh, next to you is going to be giving their piece and their uh, contribution to the song. And, and, and so therefore you also have to make sure that you really know what you're doing because you can't rely on anyone else to, to give you your part. Um, it's all this interplay and this, and this connectivity and yeah, you hear where your part fits in. So maybe you get like a little clue where you're like, okay, right. There's my starting note for this next little tricky entrance. Right. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's really an exercise in bringing the gift and skill that you have on that particular song the unique line that you are carrying um, and, and everyone else is bringing their unique individual part too. And you're all bringing it together to create something larger than the sum of its parts. And you have to stay in tune and you have to stay connected with one another. So there is so much eye movement, eye connectivity constantly happening um, in all the acapella groups that I've sung in because you, you can't zone out, right? right. You have to pay attention. You have to listen. Yeah. You, you don't have the ability to be elsewhere. It's, and it's an exercise in being totally present. And I think that's another, and I mean, I'm just going to keep saying this. It's another part of, of the faithfulness, right? When we're totally present to, to, to the divine, that's when a lot of our like mountaintop moments happen or like aha moments or like our, Oh, wow. Like I just had a, a spiritual awakening of some kind. Um, something moved in me and, and with acapella, you have to be totally present and in the moment. Yeah. What a beautiful example too, of diversity and the value of diversity. Like your gift is important and your gift is valuable. And so is everyone else's. And it requires each and every one of you to step forward in the fullness of your gift, to not shy away from it, to not look for other people to tell you what your gift is, but just to own it and to not say, I'm the most important voice and I'm going to sing out loud because that ruins it all. Finding that balance. And I think too, it speaks to this notion that sometimes I need to step back. Sometimes I need to get quieter in order to highlight someone else's voice and vice versa. I'm just spitballing here now, but like the, the breath piece, I've been talking with a lot of people about how sometimes you need to take a moment and take your own breath to give space for someone to take a breath later on. And it's that importance of rest too, that like I can take my moment so that later they can take theirs. Yeah. It's a huge exercise in teamwork and, and it's like a huge group mentality, right? You can't have a choir with just one person really have to work collectively and, and collaboratively. Um, I've actually really recently seen uh, a kind of a meme floating around that says, you know, somebody once told me um, that 
choirs are able to sustain these super long, um, unhuman length notes, right? And sounds because they will stagger their breath. And, and so one person within the choir will take a breath when they need it. And then, but you just never take a breath at the same time as somebody next to you. So that way, like the sound doesn't um, stop from, from that direction at the same time. Um, and again, so you have to be listening and, and know who's next to you and kind of be aware of like, okay, when do they often need to take a breath? When do I need to take a breath? And so that way you're able to sustain this, this note or this chord or this music. And the effect of that is, is so important and it can only come from um, sharing in that work and taking breaks when you need it. Um, but also making sure that you're providing the work for when somebody else needs to take a break. And this example was used in order to say, well, that is what justice efforts need to, and what like grassroots organizations need to, it can't just be one person or a really small group who's, who's going to try to sustain this big everlasting note, proverbially speaking. Um, you know, we have to be able to give each other breaks, but then also to come back and to share in that work together. So that way it can produce this really incredible thing that, that would be impossible for one person to do on their own, but collectively together, um, we're able to achieve something far greater than ourselves individually. What a great teaching. And I think churches can really learn from this, that need to share the load that need to take a moment to rest when you need it, to step down when you need to step down, like that self-awareness it requires, the awareness of other people that it requires. It makes me wish we could just like implant all these ideas into people because it's so important. It's so important. And I think so many folks, especially volunteers, get so burnt out because they feel like, well, if I don't do it, nobody will. Okay, but if you stop doing it, someone will have to do it. Right, and 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 the reverse is true that if if you don't allow the space for somebody else to do it, then nobody else is going to have the opportunity. Mm. Like, I think it is a gift in and of itself to not always be stepping up. You know, you said earlier, like sometimes you have to step back and let other people be given the space to like, let their gift shine. And I think sometimes we have this fear this like scarcity model in our mind, especially I think in, in mainline Protestant churches right now, because there's still such a narrative of, of decline. And because so many folks who are the most dedicated often in our congregations are the ones who were around and really active when there was a bit more of a boom and a heyday back in the fifties and sixties and maybe even seventies. And so they're still mourning that loss. And I think it, I think it, it really is grief. I really think it's mourning, but at the same time, they keep powering through and keep doing everything the way that they did it, the way that they were used to doing it when the church was in a different context and situation than what it is now. And I actually think sometimes it's not letting people, other people either rise up to fill in those shoes or to have the opportunity to do things differently if we are able to let go a little bit of some of that control and some of that fear that I think we have and trust that God is working and speaking today, mm. just as much as God was back in the fifties, just as much as God was in, in the days when the Bible was written, then I think we will, will be surprised with what newness uh, and new stuff comes out and, and things that do work and bring, bring life. Yeah, absolutely. I have a sticky note 
next to my bed because I have a really hard time relinquishing things. I just want to like <laughs> grip on and do it all. Oh, it's so normal and natural. Yeah. So I have a sticky note next to my bed that says there is a gift in giving opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. There's a gift in giving opportunity. Oh, so, so true. Right. Um, and it's some, that's, empo- I would say like empowering is the word that came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Which literally means to imbue with authority, um, to give the ability to see for yourself, like I can do this, right. It's, it's encouragement. It's, it's affirmation. Um, it's equipping. And that is a gift to give somebody that, you know, um, yeah. it's a huge gift to, to give the opportunity to empower somebody else. And I think that's exactly for me, what music does, it is such an empowering experience um, because you are sharing in this thing with, with so many other people and everybody is bringing their full selves to the table um, and creating something that is bigger and better and, and would be impossible to do without each other. Mm. Right. Right. I'm curious. Uh, we've talked a few times, or you've touched a few times on the power of music to communicate. And I know um, you have had experience working and singing with people who are not from your same context or not from your same culture. And I'm curious if you can talk to how music is one of those things that can help us cross certain barriers that might feel impenetrable. Like how does music help us to connect to people from a different context or a different culture? I think, I mean, I think it is a language, you know, um, it, it, there, there are studies that show that when you teach children how to read music, their scores in, in both linguistics, language, um, reading and math soar. Wow. Uh, and so it, it's a huge intersection because it is a language in and of itself. Um, it's a, it's a form of, of written and communicated language. And, and so I think, and it's a universal language. Everybody has music, even if there are different notations or different music systems that people use across the world and cultures, every culture has music in it in, in some way. So it's just a a very human thing. It allows us to tap into that humanity that we all share. And, and it is really a, a, I think it brings down barriers and it allows us to, to relate and to bond and to feel, um, such deep resonance with one another on a a level that is way beyond creed or nationality or heritage or country gender. It, it, it transcends all of that. And, and yes, you can sing in other languages and, and I, that are, I think that's wonderful. But even when you're just talking about like using syllables like laws and da's or, or, you know, whatever different variations, um, you might find across cultures, that's something that we can all participate in. Mm-hmm. When, um, I was in that choir in divinity school, they take a international tour every four years. And I just got lucky enough to be around for one of those tours. And so we went to Indonesia, um, and we were the first collegiate choir to take a tour of Indonesia. And we went to a couple different places and sang with like various choirs, um, across, across that, that, that country, uh, on three different islands we went to. And, you know, we, so we were invited to participate in the language and the culture of 
the various, you know, places that, that we were going to. And so that was so important and so valued for us that we were able to be given that experience to stretch beyond what we had experienced in, in our context in, in, you know, the Western world as, as growing up with music and to be invited to share in the music in the context of, of another place. And then they were just as open to, to receiving the music that we we're bringing and sharing with them as well. Um, so it, it really is this, it, it does, it goes across any culture or any kind of diversity that we have. Uh, and in my experience, it's a huge unifier. And I mean, the, the feeling that I have towards those choirs and towards some of those people that we met, we were there with some of them for no more than f- like five days was the most amount of time that we spent with any one group in any one place. And I will forever consider them like soul connecting people in my life. Right. And it's only because we sang together, (laughs) um, and, and had just such this immediate openness to accept each other and, and to share in, in that music that, that completely goes across, um, whatever other divides we as humans like to create. Absolutely. When you said too, in that, that, it's important to be respectful in the way that you're participating in it, which brings me to my next question, which is about the connection between music and justice, because I think it's important to participate in and sing music from other cultures, but in a lot of predominantly white mainline Protestant churches, there are days like world communion Sunday. Well, you're, you'll often hear the hymn de colores mm-hmm. and then on The Sunday before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, the church will sing Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is also known as the Black National Anthem. And that was always something that I really valued and was proud of. I was like, this is really great that our church is doing this. But then I heard someone in seminary talk about how this can really feel like appropriation to someone from a culture that's other than white, that when you sing, when white people in a group of only white people sing that song, it can feel very much like appropriation. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts about this, like how can predominantly white Christian churches do better in this particular arena? So firstly, I mean, I will name that, that I myself identify as, as a white woman. And so I don't know that I am the best voice to turn to, to try Mm -hmm. and answer certain questions around appropriation. I would really think that we would want to make sure that we are including, um, when we have just a conversation generally, you know, that, that we're making sure to, to include voices of, of those who, you know, for them, it, it matters far much more. And they're the ones who have, you know, kind of, uh, something at stake more than, than me and my whiteness do. And and the only way that I think we can do that is if when we're if we're in meaningful relationship with people who are different than us and, and have diversity from from what it is that that we have. I think it's important. I personally think it's important to to make sure that we are singing hymns and music of different um, cultures that Christianity exists within. Because again, if we were only to to sing hymns of from Europeans or, or American descent, we would be limiting our Christian expression in mm-hmm. all of the ways that it, that it works across the world. Right. I actually would worry that that would be kind of 
that would be a theology that I wouldn't want to ascribe to personally. Yeah. And, and so I think that the more that we allow and understand and, and see Jesus reflected not only in ourselves, but also in all the diversity that exists in the world, then we start to like understand more of what it means to follow a God who loves all of God's children equally. I would, I would say that I think it is good and necessary and faithful exposure, I guess. I don't know if that's quite the right word I want to use. Um, but I, I certainly would not want to to limit those different hymns sung in different languages. Um, and I also would want, I just would want it to be coupled and followed up as intentionally as possible with the real lives and real people who made those hymns possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate what you said about intentional like follow-up work or the work that's done beforehand because I think so often they're just interjected like look at us being diverse and multicultural because we are singing this hymn once right a year as opposed to like talking about why are we singing this hymn what is its history and and just addressing those types of things I think is really important and like you said we don't want to to limit the expression of God. And it's important to expose people to different things, but doing so in relationship yeah, and in dialogue and in conversation with deep intention. Yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, it, it, it is easy to just placate and, mm. and to comfort ourselves and to say, you know, Oh, it almost becomes performative. Um, on a certain level, like look at us, we feel good about ourselves. We're doing this thing because we believe, or at least we want to say that we believe, you know, that we value every single life and, and no matter if they're, you know, all the different um, marginalized groups. And, and so we're going to sing this song on Martin Luther King day, or we're going to, you know, like you said, sing De Colores, um, for world communion Sunday, um, to show like, yes, we believe in, in all that good stuff, but there is such a thing as, it being lip service versus like real lived out. And so the question that I would have first, and and, you know, some churches and congregations don't have access to um, actual communities or of people around them who, who are diverse. And so then maybe it's, well, what kind of ministries are you supporting or where are you doing um, mission work or what kind of ways are you grappling with the issues and educating yourselves about the real lived experiences of different people? around the country and the world. Um, so that way, again, it, it, it just hits on a different level and on a level that is more intentional about how we live out our faith. Bouncing off of that, I feel like that's been one of the challenges of our time right now, which is that so many churches are worshiping online or from their living rooms or um, maybe they have gone back to like outdoor in-person service, but they're not singing. And that I think is so hard for folks. It's hard not to have that peace because it is so connecting and it is so important to worship. Um, and to to miss out on that is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's really hard. We have been using um, YouTube Live. Uh, that's just been our platform of choice. And so we do have the organ and then we have like one person usually, or maybe two, because there are two pastors who are um, singing to the hymn. And and so that way people at home 
Mm -hmm. are hopefully singing like in their living rooms. Right. And we have had people say like, Oh, I love the fact that I get to sing it like the top of my lungs, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, 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 and we say in, in, in our theology that we've been preaching is we are still connected, you know, like virtual worship is not the opposite of, of real. It's just like the opposite of in-person, but both virtual and in-person worship are both very real forms of worship. And so the Holy Spirit is connecting us exactly the same through the technology, just as much as the Holy Spirit um, would connect us if we were all together in in one room um, in a sanctuary or or wherever um, singing. So we do still consider it, but uh, an expression of, of the Holy Spirit and of praise together. But there is no denying that you don't hear the fullness of that congregation and if you're not in the sanctuary to hear that organ uh, in its glory, you know, there, there is a loss around mm-hmm. that. And I would say, and this is coming from somebody who, you know, singing is my favorite thing like in the world to do. I think right now that is the sacrifice that we have to make in order to keep other people safe. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a extremely Christian act. I think that in and of itself is an act of praise, to be honest, um, because it is valuing each and every life and making that be the crux of our um, way that we gather. And that's what Christ did. You know, Christ always valued each and every single life, never put anything above that human um, and, and where they were at in compassion for that human and gave the ultimate sacrifice of his own life in order to, to, to give more life and give it abundantly to others. And so I think things like not singing right now congregationally um, and, and things like not having choirs right now or, or wearing a mask, I think those are small sacrifices um, for the greater good uh, that we are, are called to do. It's the loving thing. It's how we serve one another. Right. It's a profound, profound act of love. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, there's still pain. There's still loss, right? It yeah, is a sacrifice. Yeah. There's loss. Um, but we just do it because we know that it's it's the right thing to do. And it's what our faith tells us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus said to follow him, but he never said it would be easy. No. Cost of discipleship is real. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. Before we um, wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, uh, one of the missions of this podcast is to undo and untangle theology that has been harmful. And I'm curious if there was ever a piece of theology that was given to you or you came to understand that you have had to rework and reimagine in order to bring new life and healing to yourself? So the first thing that came to mind for me um, is not necessarily explicitly theology, but I think it has real theological implications. Mm. And it's just kind of the understanding, uh, whether often unspoken or maybe sometimes spoken about how we're supposed to treat anger Mm. in our society and especially women. Um, with anger. And, and so often, you know, those two things are seen as incompatible. And, and so for a long time, you know, I struggled and, and when things were unjust or, you know, women often with, with their anger, don't, don't get viewed uh, in, in ways that men with anger do. They, they're, they're viewed differently and often far more negatively when women express anger. Um, But one of the things that was really helpful for me was, trying to see again, if we believe that Jesus experienced everything that it is to be human, I said, we don't really talk about angry Jesus. Where's angry Jesus in the Bible? And one of the, I think the most 
common depictions or the, the easiest ones to point to is when Jesus uh, flips the tables um, with, with the money lenders in the temple because the money lenders were taking advantage of the people who were coming to worship, um, trying to get them to spend more money, trying to get them into, you know, traps, um, financially. And, and Jesus said, this is my, this is my, my father's house, right? This is God's temple. Um, how dare you take advantage of God's people, especially here. And, and so he flips the table. Um, and, and one of the things that I find so powerful about that anger that Jesus shows is that the anger never turns as direct violence on the money lenders themselves. Mm. He chases them away, right? Um, he, he draws a line and says, this is unacceptable and I will not stand for it. And it's a boundary. And, he, and so he chases them away. But the, the, the physical violence happens on the table. Yeah, It happens on the mechanism, the vessel through which people were being taken advantage of. Right. And so I find that a really powerful message and understanding to deal with anger and justice and situations that um, we have we have righteous anger towards. Right. Is to say, I will not let my anger affect the way I treat other people. I will not create violence against other people, but I will, by any means necessary, um, overturn the system, the way through which people are being taken advantage of that is wrong and and just and cause for my righteous anger. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think you really touch on the struggle that a lot of women have of like, I feel anger, I am told to suppress it. I think especially for white women, we are told especially to suppress that anger. Absolutely. Be the damsel in distress rather than like stand in your strength. Because I think a lot of times anger comes from this touched on something that's painful or something that I know isn't right. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, when, it's when a boundary has been crossed, right? Mm. That's, what, that's how I, I find it helpful to think about. When I'm angry, it usually means either I'm, uh, some boundary has been crossed and either I'm, I'm afraid or, or I feel I've been taken advantage of and I'm hurt, you know? And, and so it's, it's definitely like recognizing something important. I think anger is an important tool to tell you where you're at and tell you what you need and say, this is something that was not okay with me. Right. And, and why should we not be allowed to say what's not okay to us? Yes. (laughs) Well, and Jesus, like you said, is a perfect example of that. I often say like, Jesus is a really great example of how to set a boundary because he loves all people and cares for all people. And for me, it's the image of Jesus is standing in the doorway, holding the door open for folks. But as soon as someone tries to bulldoze in, he's going to stand in that doorway and say, all people are welcome, but not all behaviors are welcome. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious, um, before we head into our final questions, what is a gift that you feel that you in particular bring to ministry into the church? The first thing I, I thought of, so I'll just go with my gut, was my sense of playfulness and fun. I really think church should be fun. Church is is not meant to be a place that is so serious where where we are constantly just worrying and overanalyzing and and you know n- not living into 
the abundance of life that we have been given. I just think there's inherent joy and, and goodness um, that our faith gives us. And, and the more that we live into that, I think the, the more fruits of the Holy Spirit continue um, to blossom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I have seven rapid fire questions for you. Right. You can answer these however you feel called <laughs> in the moment. Okay. If you could untangle one piece of bad theology for everyone forever, what would it be? That church is not meant to be political. Um, Jesus Christ was political because political just means the policies that govern ourselves, right? Um, and, And Jesus absolutely was super political because he always talked about the way that people were treating one another based on the laws of the time, on on what was happening at the time. In fact, he was so political that he got killed for it. The state which created the laws found him, didn't like the way that he was talking about the laws and therefore killed him for it. Um, So to say that church shouldn't be a place where we talk politics or where we have political messages, I just inherently disagree with that. Okay. What do you love about Jesus? I think what I said um, earlier that every single thing that it means to be human, Jesus knows. And so we are never alone. Uh, Anything that we're going through, anything that we have experienced, um, you know, Jesus has felt those emotions in some way. Um, And, and, and we can always turn to Jesus in order to find our comfort and our strength and to help us navigate and find healing and, and, uh, work our way through towards, um, better life on the other side of whatever it is that we're going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is your favorite verse or story in the Bible? My favorite verse is be still and know a very popular Psalm. Um, and it is something for me that helps to remind me again, kind of to bring it back to what we were talking about with, with singing to let go. Mm. That's an important thing for me and my faith that I'm continuously needing to remind myself of. So I'll go with be still and know. Awesome. I love that one too. It's important. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, if you could ask God anything, what <sighs> would you ask? Why did you make certain animals so creepy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. I have that one. I'm going to add that to my list. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing a list here. God's going to have some things to contend with. Okay. Uh, what is your go-to comfort food right now? So I am in um, kind of like Southeast Pennsylvania. And so there's a uh, gas station chain called Wawa around us. That's really prevalent and popular. Um, and they make awesome mac and cheese. Um, and they also make really good mashed potatoes. And so I get a bowl that is half mashed potatoes, half mac and cheese. And then it comes with like three chicken tenders on top. Mm. Um, and then I douse it in hot sauce cause I love hot sauce. So I douse it and then I dip it in boom, boom sauce. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is like the ultimate, like, okay, I just need this combination of flavors and like, it's like sticks to your ribs, kind of, you know, goody gooeyness. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you know for sure? That God loves you unconditionally. Mm. That there is nothing that anyone can do to separate the love that God has for them. There's no mistake. There's no amount of, of failing or missing the mark. There's no amount. You, you can't ever go too far 
in the world and not come back to God and be accepted and loved. Um, God doesn't keep score. God doesn't hold grudges. God loves you like you exactly as you are, who you are, exactly where you're at at this point in life. I don't care if you're five years old. I don't care if you're 50. I don't care if you're 105. God loves you for who you are as you are right now. Everything that you have inside of you, um, God loves you. You're God's beloved in whom you're well pleased. Unconditional love. That's what I know for sure. Amen to that. Okay, final question. What is filling your well? (laughs) So this is a silly answer. Um, Everything tiny house. (laughs) I like throughout this quarantine, for whatever reason, I just like cannot get enough of shows and content that are related to tiny houses. Um, I just think they are so cool and really um, fun and unique in the way that they... um, they're so multifunctional and versatile and they like pack so much into like a really compressed space. And I just think that's really fascinating when everything has so many different uses and functionality to it. Um, so yeah, tiny house is like, I don't know. It just brings me joy. There's just something, first of all, when things are diminutive, that's kind of just weirdly fun in mm-hmm. general. Um, but, but again, to have a, a, such a small space be so, um, just so multifunctional is, is really cool. I really like that idea. Um, the more serious answer, like, like spiritually what's filling my well right now, um, I would say is, um, in part, honestly, the, uh, all the virtual choirs that are Mm -hmm. being created, because like you said, there is such a loss around not being able to sing, um, collectively and communally right now. And so, but the ways that humans will find a way to make music together, no matter what, um, to use the technology, to use it as a gift, to use it as a tool of faith, to share and spread the message of love in the world, um, and, and to do it through music still, that to me is really, um, powerful. So every time that I'm like watching all these different kind of like virtual like mass choirs or, or even like a, a church that has like five people that have put a, a you know, a virtual um, choir together. It, it, it fills me. It's just, it's so, I think it's beautiful and it's also connecting and there's um, it's just more poignant because of the loss that we've all experienced around, around not having those things. So it just feels all the more meaningful. Thank you so much, Sydney, for, your time today, your wisdom that you shared with us. I, I hope everyone like gets off of this conversation and goes and Googles uh, virtual choirs because it, <laughs> it fills my wheel well too. It's yeah. they're so great. Yeah. They, I, they, there's real, there's like a magic to them, you mm-hmm. know, there really is. And, and I don't know if it's just because we can't sing in person or if it's just something beyond that, but, but they, they mean something kind of big right now, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time and thank, thank you. you so much. Absolutely. All right. Hope you have a great rest of your day too. You too. Thank you. <laughs> My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org. Or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. 
You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.